0: Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, back on a Monday, back with lots to talk about. My name's Matt Bagley, joined as always by Justin Hopkins of ScoopDuck.com. And before we get into the most impressive Oregon win of the season so far, I want to get some window dressing out of the way, you know, just to let everybody know what's going on and why. If you wondered, after Oregon put up a 70 burger, why you didn't hear a podcast, that's on me. I apologize. As, as most of you know, I, uh, I recently left my job in the radio business running uh, one and 5.80 The Game down in Medford, and I am starting a new venture. And what that means for me up here is I've been clocking in around 7 every day, leaving the house about 6.30, and getting home about or 6 every day, which just so happens to nuke all the time we used to have to tape a podcast. So we're working around my job that I have right now, and not only Justin's job, but his most important job as a parent and a soccer coach and all the fun stuff he does, Uh, and we're trying to bring you a podcast. And I'm pretty excited about what we got on tap for you today. The Ducks beat BYU. Bo Nix has a couple of touchdowns. You get to see Ty Thompson, though you don't see Ty Thompson do very much. And you see Oregon beat a team that was favored to go into Eugene and beat them. Uh, Let's start here, Justin. I I think this is a statement for Oregon. I think the Dan Lanning era needed this win. Did they need this win?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you and I are, are, you know, reasonably level headed guys, you know, when we come to our takes and and try not to, uh, you know, get too crazy. But I mean, this was, you know, this was the win. This was, you know, it was just it's been such a hard season to grade or or get a feel for. Right. Because you got a brand new head coach. He brings in a bunch of young guys. He brings in a transfer and then they go out week one and they get absolutely smashed. Georgia just took it to him. Albeit, Oregon didn't look that bad. I mean, they looked bad, but I mean, now, here we are three weeks later, and really, Oregon doesn't look as bad, uh, you know, a- as you might think, uh, just because Georgia's steamrolling everybody. But, you know, with all this newness, and then you come back home and you play Eastern Washington, What you know, what do we really take away from that, right? I mean, you or me could have been out there coaching them and, and gotten the win, um, you know, so it's hard to get too excited about that. They look good, put up points. Uh, the tackling was better. The defense was better. There was improvements, but it was hard to know if that was, you know, team improvements on Oregon side or just, you know, a talent difference. In it. And it certainly looks like it was both things. But, you know, then came BYU. So now, you know, here we are, you and me and the Oregon fan base and the national media kind of looking like, okay, here's a test. Here's a good team, top 15, top 20 team, depending on, uh, what ranking you were looking at. Uh, everybody knows Kalani Satake's a good coach, physical, just beat Baylor, big win, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I don't know. I personally feel that the score doesn't even accurately reflect how bad Oregon kicked their butt because they really took it to them as a gratifying win. The offense played uh, I mean, I'm just going to call it a flawless game. I mean, they they protected the football. They ran the football when they needed to. They got big plays when they needed to. They were very diverse in what they were doing. Uh, I thought the offense and Bo Nix, tip a cap to him, uh, really played almost a flawless game of football, if you will. And the defense was not far behind them. I think the defense, you know, again, that is by far Oregon's most improved side of the ball is the defense. Uh, In the first three weeks, they're tackling better. They're taking better angles. uh, They're, you know, they're playing in space better. Uh, The secondary, I think, is just pinpointing that group is probably the most improved position group from week one to week three. You know, they were really not very good in week one. And I'm not saying that they're elite right now, but they have made very big improvements along the way if they can kind of continue that. Um, you know, I think that defense is kind of on the doorstep of taking that next step. And then we start to really look at this team maybe in a slightly different manner moving forward.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the defense. I count 20 different players who registered a tackle on Saturday. What that tells me is there was team defense. There was tandem tackling. Guys are flying to the football. And I think that's landing football one oh one. Georgia played that way last year, in the last couple of years, and, and they are teaching the Ducks to play that way, and play that way effectively. That's a good sign. You also mentioned Bo Nix. What I love about his stat line, two touchdowns, no interceptions, no picks, no mistakes with the football, and, and compared to the Georgia game two weeks ago in Atlanta, I think that's night and day.
1: Yeah, I, you know, a couple of the keys for me in this football game was for Bo Nicks to protect the football. And, you know, he obviously did that. Uh, you know, I, I think my bigger point was Oregon needs to win the turnover game. They technically lost it 1-0, but really they did a f- phenomenal job of of taking care of the football Um, And and playing really well there. And one of the other keys was this Oregon defense making BYU one dimensional, try and take that uh, run game away from them, you know, kind of make them beat you downfield. And I think that that's what Oregon did a really good job defensively, because almost any team out there, when you start to make them one dimensional, it really, really, you know, restrains that offense. It really puts them in an uncomfortable spot. Um, you know, and lastly, which wasn't a key that I made, but one of the keys of the game that really kind of developed was the fact that Oregon really came out and absolutely hammered the pedal from the get go, uh, you know, forcing really forcing BYU to start playing catch up, uh, you know, before halftime. So I think those were some, some things that made a huge difference.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Talk about uh hammering 38 to seven ducks after three quarters. I, I say, forget what happened in the fourth. Thirty-eight to seven after three—that's game over.
1: Yeah, I mean we all know. You know, I—I I know I tweeted as such. I—I I felt like Oregon was in a good position, but not quite in a position where you bring in Ty Thompson and start bringing in reserves. I—I I will be, you know, overly critical and say that was probably one of the bigger mistakes uh, that Dan Lanning's made so far. But on that note, he was obviously very quick to correct it. With you know, they decided, hey, we need to get Bo Nix back out there. We need to get some of our defensive starters out there, and just make absolutely sure that there's no way these guys can climb back into the football game. Um, you know, and really by doing so, maybe wasn't the plan by design, but maybe something that really comes from that is you know you no longer have a fan base, an Oregon fan base, sitting there playing saying play tie, play tie, we want to see tie. All of a sudden, everybody's kind of shut up and been like, all right, yeah, Bo Nix is the guy, which, <laughs> w- you know, which yeah. give Bo Nix credit. He's he's an experienced guy. He's playing really good football. He looks comfortable out there. He looks comfortable in the offense. And this isn't where we say Ty Thompson's a bust or anything like that, but it's just clear he's not ready at this point. And, yeah. you know, that's not anything that's, you know, damning of him. He's just not ready. And Bo Nix is the better quarterback. And, you know, if Oregon wants to win these games, you you gotta play the best guy and and now uh you know that kind of quieted the Oregon fan base a little.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll definitely take my slice of crow on that one because two weeks ago I'm banging the drum, you know, start Thompson, start Thompson, what do you have to lose? If you knew we were gonna lose forty nine to three, why not start Thompson in Atlanta? What's the worst that can happen? Uh, and, and now it's like I'm I'm looking down at my shoes and I'm looking up at the ceiling and I'm looking at the walls, you know, just uh, I don't want to revisit that take. But but credit to Bo Nix. I, I think he looks a lot better now than he did two weeks ago. Credit to Dan Lanning. I, I remember saying then that you know, this is a guy that got beat in the SEC title game and then adjusted in the national championship game. I, I trusted that he could adjust, and I think we've seen that through three games. And credit to this Oregon team, because they were sloppy, they missed tackles, they they looked like the moment was too big for them when they got bulldozed in Atlanta two weeks ago. And then they took it to BYU. I, I think going in on paper, a lot of people said, Hey, BYU is going to give Oregon the same problems Georgia did, right? A lot of people said across the country that BYU had this physical defensive line, and Kalani Satake is a great coach. He's beaten up on the Pac-12 before. And again, I go back to that box score. Oregon 38, BYU 7 after 3. That, that's as close as a knockout punch as you're going to get in college football I think Oregon responded to the challenge, and Oregon improved uh, against its opposition. And now that we are out of the non-conference slate, we look ahead to this Washington State game on Saturday and think anything is possible for Oregon in the Pac-12.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I took some some heat for this, but I noted on the Scoop Duck message boards that hey, look, you know, I, I just don't think that Dan Lanning had been as involved with the defense as fans wanted to believe. And I think that the product we saw on the field against Georgia, and again, it's really hard to know because George is really good. But, you know, it certainly feels like and looks like and you've even noted particularly why it looks like Dan Lanning's, you know, I'm going to say a lot more involved now with the defense, probably working with that side of the ball in practices. Obviously, it's hard for us to know because we don't go to practices that they they only keep it open for about 15 minutes, two times a week. So you get to see very, very little at, at all. Um, but it certainly feels like Dan Lanning has stepped in and really, you know, started to turn things around. And like you said, you even are pinpointing, hey, look, they're doing same, similar things now that they did at Georgia last year in the way they're attacking the football and, and kind of attacking those lanes And I I do think that, you know, it's pretty clear that he's become a lot more involved. And, you know, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means Tasha wasn't ready. I don't know if it means it wasn't up to Dan Lanning's expectations, which I do believe are very high. Um, Whatever it means, you know, it's Dan Lanning's job. So he, you know, he needs to go out there and obviously put the best product in the field if he wants to keep the job. So uh, I think credit to him for probably aiding in a lot of those adjustments and seeing that the product needed to be better.
0: Okay, well, that hit on every note I had for the BYU game from from one Cougs game to another. You want to jump ahead to the Wazoo game?
1: Uh, or do you have more? Not. You have more here. Well, well, no, I figured we would do another pod Wednesday or whatever, and it would be about Washington State. So okay. I wasn't really okay. Want I wasn't wasn't wanting to double double them up here just because then that takes away, you know, a second that like, if they're just 20, 30 minute little pods, it's okay. So what's Um, on your mind? uh, I would just say, you know, we could continue to talk about maybe like the, the fans showing up and the team, uh, like maybe looking like they're having more fun and being more fun to watch for Oregon fans. Um, And then we, I think we can probably squeeze another five or seven minutes out of that. And then talk about the PAC 12 in general, that probably gets us to our time.
0: Did you, uh, did you go up to the game Saturday?
1: Uh no, I was in San Francisco.
0: Okay. So I, yeah. I didn't go either, but um, you know, I, I was listening in on the pregame show, Ten Eighty the Fan. Uh they do a, a pre a super like four hour pregame show up here and they have traffic updates during the pregame. And it always cracks me up because it's it's just I five right. So oh, watch out for a traffic cop uh, north of Salem, and oh, watch out for a jam in Albany, and and it's going to slow down as you get to Coburg, and bumper to bumper here, bumper to bumper there. It, it felt like a normal Oregon game for the first time in a long time. Uh, students are back in large numbers. Tons of people drove down from Portland. Uh, I, I'm with you. There was an energy in Otson on Saturday.
1: Well, I, I mean, I think it's uh, it's a number of things, and and you hit on point number one. The students are back in town. Um, I thought they actually the students. I did go to the Eastern Washington game. I thought the students actually did a pretty good job uh, in that one. I think it was the section was about two thirds of the way full. Um, And they stayed, you know, pretty well into the into the fourth quarter and started to filter out. And the game was well out of hand. So I don't really hold that against them uh, in that case. But, yeah, you noted that the students are back. Um, I think uh, a couple other things. I think first and foremost, um, the offense is fun to watch again. And I think that that's a big point that's being made, but it's certainly valid. I think Kenny Dillingham, you know, is moving the ball around. They're throwing the ball. Um, it's not just line it up and run. I think, you know, some of the game management things that frustrated fans over the years with Mario Cristobal, uh, which seemed to be plaguing Miami now, you know, those things are, are are gone. Again, I just think the product on the field is fun to watch again. And whether they win or whether they lose, at least it's exciting, right? I think Duck fans feel like they have something that – they can identify with and something they can be proud of, and and I think it's exciting, and I think that those are great things. And I think one of the things that really encapsulates that is I think you could see the interactions on the sidelines between the coaches and players. Uh, you know, obviously the big contingent of players doing shout at the end of third quarter in this last game. Um, you know, those are all really signs that kind of show you, hey, look, not only are the the fans kind of enjoying this a little more, the players are enjoying themselves more, and we're all getting a product on the field. That's just more enjoyable. I think those are things that as this season continues, more and more fans will get back into odds and they're getting back into, Hey, Oregon football is fun again. I want to, I want to follow this. And I, I think those are important things. I, again, I, I am not sitting here trying to beat up Mario Cristobal because I feel really bad doing that. Um, But it was just a different style. And you could easily make an argument to me that it wasn't as fun to watch. And I, and I get what you're saying. I think that's gone now. I guess the breath of fresh air, but it's taken a few games for, for Oregon fans to trust it again. And I, I think that's why we're seeing Austin get, you know, kind of back to itself again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. And, and I, I will say this, you know, you and I, I I think without putting either of us in a corner um, you know, have, have different approaches on the pandemic and, and that impact on the world, um, but, but I think we both agree that where the, 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 especially out West, you know, in the Pacific Northwest, where we are right now with the percentage of people that got vaccinated and the, and the percentage of people that, that, uh, have an immunity to this thing now, um, you know, there, there's a semblance of normalcy and a, and a calmness and a confidence that I haven't seen in covering live events since before COVID.
1: Yeah, I, I, you're right. I mean, I, I think you're 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 definitely right there. I mean, I, there's no doubt that the, the pandemic had an impact there because obviously we had a season with no fans, and then you, you know you had a season with limited fans, and you had you know the mo the moschowski Center wasn't open, so that takes. So I think you know fans, whichever uh, you know side they were on, getting vaccinated, not getting vaccinated. You know i think that we've reasonably kind of put that behind us at this point and people are just saying well i can go to a game now and kind of get back to you know what we felt like before the pandemic and i, and I think that's you know i think that's a good point to make to uh matt because i don't think people are kind of remembering just what life was like maybe you know six months ago yeah um Shout you know, Right. And, you know, here we are. Like you said, uh, that wasn't like that everywhere in the U.S., but it was certainly that way up here in the Pacific Northwest. So, yeah, I think that's another contributing factor to fans getting back into aughts and, and kind of, you know, getting back into that groove of, of tailgating and doing what not like, you know, like was done prior to the pandemic.
0: Yeah. So the Ducks are 2 and one Big win over BYU. Uh, you mentioned the electric offense, uh, Troy Franklin leads all receivers 80 plus yards. How do you feel about him now that he's breaking out year two?
1: Yeah, you know, just to speak on Troy Franklin specifically, that was a I mean, that was an amazing catch. And he's obviously very gifted. I think he's starting to take the leap that you know fans expect but I think he's you know again he's just a true sophomore he's starting to take that leap game by game getting comfortable with bonex getting comfortable within this offense and starting to kind of transition into the guy right I'm using air finger quotes here but like he's starting to kind of become the guy that when you know maybe Oregon needs uh you know needs some yards through the air or needs a catch uh, you know, Bo Nix is is looking his direction. Uh, you know, Dante Thornton obviously had a tweet and was very you know, hey look, you know, Troy Franklin's that dude. I mean, he he outright said that. Um, I think Terrence Ferguson is right there with him. You know, he's obviously playing at an elite level as a tight end, and it's clear that Kenny Dillingham likes focusing on him in the offense. Um, I think more importantly that this offense is not dependent on like just one guy producing, you know, it's not like, Oh man, we need to make sure that Troy Franklin has eight catches and we'll never move the ball. It's pretty clear that they feel comfortable throwing this ball around to seven McGee and Dante Thornton and Chase Coda and Troy Franklin and, you know, Maliki Matipao and Cam McCormick. I mean, a lot of guys are touching the football and that to me has tremendous value with this offense because, you know, you get, Uh, it's not necessarily one dimensional, but when you're dependent on it being one guy, which we have experienced Oregon teams having that problem in the past, um, it's a lot more fun when it's out there. And and you really, honestly, you really don't know where the ball is going, but you actually feel good that a pass is going to occur to an Oregon player and and move for positive yardage. And it's kind of been a long time since Oregon fans have had that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of names in the receiving core getting their due and their share of the football. How about the backfield, though? I I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but are you surprised that Byron Cardwell hasn't got enough touches?
1: No. I mean, that was something that I would kind of talked about coming out of fall camp. um, And I would kind of, you know, I kept it on the message boards primarily, but had told fans like, hey, uh, I mean, y'all need to watch Bucky Irvin, like the guy. You know, he, that's the guy I keep hearing about in fall camp. Um, and I kept promoting it. And, you know, fans, obviously, there were a lot of fans. I, I know that the Cardwell family is very vocal on social media. And that's, you know, obviously their their choice and their right. But, I mean, I, I think that, you know, this staff, I, I don't believe that it has anything to do with they're bringing in their guys. They're just going through practice trying to figure out the best 11 they can on each side of the ball and get those guys You know, out there and going. So, Bucky Irving doesn't surprise me. I think Noah Whittington continues to be a big play every, you know, potential every time he touches the ball. And I think that's that nice change of pace, that thunder and lightning that they have. Um, You know, Cardwell can get there. Uh, You know, Sean Dollars has been good in the time he's gotten the ball. Uh, And Jordan James, I mean, that's been a bright spot guy who runs really hard, uh, you know, gets downfield in a hurry. So, I, again, like I, I mentioned with the receivers, I love the fact that they have a number of capable backs. I know it's hard to feed all of those mouths with one football, but uh, you know, should an injury occur or whatever, I mean, it, it's kind of nice when Oregon has that versatility to kind of ride the hot hand. Yeah. Um, and you and you know, you've got a number of guys that that
0: could be. No, I think that's a fair point. Like, I, I, I want to compare this offense to offenses in prior years, and I, and I think the big difference is that depth. Like, I, I remember so many Mario Cristobal years where if Jawan Johnson is out for the week or Micah Pittman is out for the week or if uh, C.J. Verdell is banged up, suddenly the offense takes a nosedive, and, and I don't necessarily feel that way with this roster.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. This team, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, Adrian Clem has had to deal with some injuries through the offensive line, and they haven't to skipped a to beat. I mean, Stephen Jones didn't play in this game last week, and, you know, Connelly got out there, Harper got out there, literally didn't skip a beat. And, uh, you know, it, it seems as though this team overall, you know, we're talking, you know, defense, I know we're talking offense, but defensive line, you lose a, a returning starter, in, in Popo Amavelle, and Popo Amaval and, He's done for the year. But really, that group, that defensive line group has stepped up and been good. And I think that that was I think that what Coach Lanning and some of his coaches did through the transfer portal is really starting to shine here. They showed up, ultimately hadn't even seen the the team, but recognized that there were some areas that probably needed some depth and some talent and went out and got guys that, you know, Casey Rogers, Jordan Riley, you know, obviously Bo Nix, obviously Bucky Irving. These guys are contributing. It's kind of scary if you want to take a step back and think about what this team would look like without those transfers that are currently starting for
0: Oregon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, got about 10, maybe 12 minutes left on the the timer that I have cooked up for this. Do you want to talk recruiting for a couple of minutes? You know we
1: can. There's just not a lot there. They, you know, I figured. so far. Yeah, I asked just because you know, I, I wasn't sure. It, you know what? It's a good topic to talk about, but yeah, there's not a lot to go over. That just simply, there's been two weekends of recruiting, uh, of home games, and you know, in recruiting at the uh, at this time of year, it gets very hard to do because these guys all have their own games that they're playing. They're obviously mostly seniors that you're targeting, uh, wanting to, you know, that, that senior season is very valuable to them. Uh, so a lot of visits haven't taken place, even though the ducks have had two home games, uh, you know, four-star linebacker, Blake Nicholson did uh, visit this weekend and he it was kind of a surprise visit, but he's ultimately down to Oregon and Florida state. Supposedly UCLA's in the mix, but nobody really considers them in the mix Um, You know, I've considered him a Florida State lean, even though he's a California kid, uh, for the last little bit. I think it was great that Oregon got him out here this weekend, but I still think that Florida State's probably the team to beat there. Um, otherwise it's just been you know mostly commits that have taken the visit some of the sheldon guys like tatum tuyati uh nico clem you know the guys that are are, are committed and just down the road and what right. nico clem's not yeah. committed but get my point um so yeah been a little quiet not a lot going on there but that's not necessarily a bad thing either because they've got 18 commits currently um you know so your room is pretty limited at this point and and ultimately oregon's mostly mostly big game hunting at this point um uh, you know so those are those five stars and, and elite four stars uh, and those guys you know for the most part aren't quite ready to make decisions yet that's going to be something maybe more like november december so we're just kind of in that in-between spot um you know stanford game stanford game in a couple of weeks i'm told will be a bigger visitor weekend so we'll have a little bit more to talk about in a couple of weeks there
0: Okay, so let me ask you this: Have you noticed any differences between how this staff approaches the in-season recruiting process and how the prior staff approached it? Um,
1: not necessarily. I mean, I think those things are 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 kind of they're the way they are uh, for a reason, and the reason is obviously you'd love to have kids show up and, and attend every autzen you know, game home game and, and get that experience. But it's, it's not feasible. As we know, Eugene is not necessarily close to many recruiting hubs. You do have, you know, Southern California, Northern California, any of those Seattle guys, but outside of that, it starts getting hard to get them, you know, there on a weekend when most of those guys might have a Friday night game, you know? So I think just with the way Oregon is, you really have to put a lot of stock into recruiting, Uh, In the spring, you've really got to hit that March, April, May, June, July months and make it count. I think it's pretty clear that Mario Cristobal was aware of that and did that. I think Dan Lanning came in and did a really good job of that as well. Um, You know, so I I don't really think that there's a lot of difference there, but I I, I, I think part of that's just kind of how it has to be as well.
0: Right. Okay, that makes sense to me. Um, Now let's talk big picture. We'll save Wazoo for another pod later this week. But big picture, State of the Ducks, 2-1, and one, wins over Eastern Washington and BYU. And then, of course, that spanker in Georgia a couple weeks back. Um, entering Pac-12 play, what is possible for this team?
1: Yeah, I mean that's, you know, here we are with a little bigger sample size, right? And now you've got three games. You had a real, you know, a better measuring stick in a BYU team that you that you smacked around. I will say this, the Pac-12 is pretty good this year and I know that like it's probably the best conference nobody's talking about. it. I mean, Calen DeBoer's doing a really good job with Washington, obviously upsetting Michigan State. Still think Michigan State was was a, a little overhyped, but that's right. still a good win for that program. That's, that's great- the
0: first compliment you or I have given to the Huskies in years on this podcast. By the way,
1: well, well, not necessarily. I mean, I was pretty high on the Kalen DeBoer hire. I thought, man, that's a pretty good hire. I, you know, they're three and I think it's a little bit of a smoke and mirrors three and O. Like they're good, but I still think Oregon is a cut above them. Um, You know, USC is doing what you would expect, but they've obviously got a really interesting game this weekend with Oregon State. You know, Jonathan Smith's got his team playing really good football. It looks like he probably has the best collection of talent that he's had in Corvallis, and they're a very dangerous team. You know, everybody, not everybody, but that is a very popular upset pick this week is Oregon State over USC. So I think we're going to get a better taste of where USC is at. This weekend, I think we're going to get a good taste, obviously, of of where Oregon State's at as well. Um, You know, so that one will be obviously very interesting for Oregon fans. But right now, I see an Oregon team that can hang with anybody. Doesn't mean they're going to walk through every game. Doesn't, You know, I'm not saying that. But there is not a team in the Pac-12 that I I don't think they can hang with or beat. You know, USC is very beatable. I think Utah is very beatable. They had that, you know, loss to Florida, which, you know, it, it didn't look too bad the first week, but now Florida's kind of regressed. So you're really kind of wondering where Utah's at overall. Um, you know, Washington State, obviously the Ducks have a really tough game. You Playing in Pullman is incredibly tough. Yeah. Washington State gets after the football and has, I don't know, 15 sacks or something through through three games. So, you know, that's going to be a really good test for Oregon, too. So you've got really two good measuring stick weeks for the Ducks back-to-back here. Um, But conversely, you're going to get some other, you know, really good measuring sticks for other teams in the conference. Uh, I I think we're headed for a really fun Pac-12, you know, year this year. And I know for Oregon fans, they probably don't want to hear, you know, I don't want to hear fun. I just want to beat everybody 47 to zero. I don't know that we have that Oregon team with us yet. They certainly could get there. The defense is getting better. They're playing good football. Um, But, at the very least, we can—I think—we can, you know, fairly say that Oregon should be competitive in every game, and at least right now, should be able to beat, you know, every team moving forward if they're playing good football.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think forty-seven to zero every Saturday is is reasonable. You know, you, if you want that, you're going to want to look up some DeAnthony Thomas highlights or something like just relive the glory days. But but I think you can get back to some glory days in the future. And I, I think it starts this year against those great Pac-12 competitors that you mentioned. Uh, Washington, this is the best Washington team in years, right? We, we made fun of Jimmy Lake. He was laughable. And, and, and uh, Kalen DeBoer, I wasn't totally sure. Like, I agree with you. It was a smart hire, but would it be the right hire? That team is 3-0. They got a, a Power 5 win over Michigan State. That's better than we can say about Washington in seasons past. I, I, I like what I've seen from Washington so far. And then you know me. I study Oregon State. I watch a lot of Beaver games just because it's in-state. This is the best Jonathan Smith team. And, and what impresses me about that team is it's by far the best Jonathan Smith defense the way they force turnovers, if you go back to the Boise State game or you go back to the Fresno game in the clutch or or last week, obviously, inferior opponent, but still the trend remains, they force turnovers. I want to see them go up against Caleb Williams and USC because I think that's the best defense that USC has faced this season.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're right. USC is about to get a real test because, uh, like you said, Oregon State's flying around on defense um, they 're very dynamic on offense, and uh secondly, as we know beaver stadium's not been kind of the Trojans in the past no so no you know, it's it 's
0: famous as an upset against u s c yeah yeah yeah
1: there's there 's a little bit of skeletons in the closet there I, you know i i think USC is a good team, but right now i just don 't know that they 're head and shoulders above oregon i mean i guess we'll i guess we 'll see as the season unfolds, but they certainly look beatable to me. That said, you're going to have to bring a pretty good, you know, game plan. Right. Um, but it doesn't look like, oh my gosh, USC is just going to route everybody. I, I just don't think they've been tested yet, so I'm anxious right. to kind of see that.
0: Right, Lincoln loaded the barn with talent, but we just haven't seen that talent be tested. And and you mentioned... The, uh, the history of USC going to Racer Stadium in night games and getting shocked happened a couple of times in the aughts. May happen again on Saturday night, even though it's relegated to Pac-12 Network, which I guess is kind of the nail in the coffin. means it will be a crazy game because nobody's going to be able to see it. Um, but, but I feel like you can say the same thing, sadly. You can say the same thing about the Ducks going to Pullman.
1: Yes. Yeah. No, dangerous game. You know, it's it's dangerous game for two two reasons and we'll talk more about it. But, you know, it, it is in Pullman, which is a tough base play. Washington State's a good football team. Um, you know, they're going to they're going to make you earn it if you're Oregon, um, you know. But yeah, there's kind of the skeletons in the closet there. The other thing that worries me just ever so slightly is, uh you know, is that big game hangover, you yeah. know, or yeah. how much did Oregon get up for for you know, for BYU and and kind of spend so much time focusing on them, and then you know you've got that next game. Hopefully, uh, this is kind of where we get a good feel for Dan Lanning.
0: Yeah, yeah. We mentioned big game hangover. I'm reminded of a couple years back that big game over the Huskies in Eugene where they they get the touchdown in overtime, they walk it off, the fans storm the field, right? It's pandemonium, and Duck fans are looking up at the standings thinking, if we win out, we will go to the playoff. And then the next week, they and College Game Day go to Pullman, and the Cougs just Slap them for three quarters and a half until Oregon wakes up. By then, it's too little, too late. I, I always think about that game as a massive what if for the Cristobal era, and and I can imagine even though you know there's no talent from that game that will be playing in this game. It's been so long now. Um, I, I can imagine the staff will be talking about that trip to Pullman. They'll be talking about how this Wazoo team out-physicaled Wisconsin a couple weeks back, and uh, and they'll be talking about you know what they need to look out for to prevent that hangover game or trap game from happening up in the Palouse.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it's a, a big topic for this week for sure with this staff.
0: Well, It was a big topic for us. It'll stay a big topic later this week. We're going to try to tape another one of these. We'll focus on the Wazoo game. We'll get you our five games we think you should watch and a whole lot more later this week. So stay tuned for that. Uh, I'm Matt Bagley. He's Justin Hopkins. We're Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Before I say goodbye, my friend, is there anything else you want to hit on?
1: No, no, that's great. And, uh, we might even take a couple of subscriber questions for the podcast later this week. Oh,
0: I like that. We'll talk,
1: we'll, we'll talk Wazoo and, and, uh, And get ready for the weekend.
0: I love that idea. Hey, I always say this to the folks on the boards. I appreciate your feedback, your comments, your questions. It helps us. It's good. It's healthy. Keep it coming. Let us know what you think. And yeah, yeah, if we get some good stuff, we'll talk about it for sure. (laughs) What do I mean? If. I know we will. Uh, Scoop duck and high five. My name is Matt Bagley. He's Justin Hopkins. We'll do this again later this week. Thanks again for listening. And go Ducks. (laughs) Yeah.